it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's going to be a big hour. Thanks so much for being here. Benjamin Hall in 15 minutes from Kiev, capital of Ukraine. And we're going to talk to Kali Shimkus and find out what else there is going on in the world, as well as get some uh, interesting insight onto what's happening with our economy while we try to... Somehow take the lead and get ahead of things in the Ukraine because uh, things are heating up. But, man, the Ukrainians are fighting like like Spartans, uh, like legendary warriors that they are. They know they can win the fight head to head. The question is how many civilians will be killed in the process. So let's get to the big, big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They finally have something that they think they can blame it on. But what was really notable about these numbers is that if you strip out some of the more volatile sectors like energy and food, the numbers are still eye-popping for everything else. And you certainly can't blame Vladimir Putin for rising uh, restaurant prices or rising furniture prices. Yeah, you can't, uh, Kimberly Strassel, but they will, as the Wall Street Journal expert weighs in. The economy, who's to blame for the sky-high inflation, sky-high gas prices, and our dependence on evil empires for energy? According to the administration, Vladimir Putin, oil companies, you two are the bad guys. I am not kidding. It's time for the oil companies, at least, to stand up and straighten out this administration. Number two. Nord Stream 2, the SWIFT sanctions, the Stinger missiles. The banning of oil, what do all those things have in common? In each of those cases, the administration said no. In each case, they said no. And in each case, the administration did a 180. And they now support those things. Senator Portman weighs in and simply breaks it down. These are facts. Suffocating American sanctions are an illusion. And the maddening decision that have the Biden administration happily leading us from behind is unacceptable. Not only are they trailing our allies on weapons and on economic attack plans, they are also lagging behind the Democrats in Congress. Number one. Ukrainian army is actually winning on the ground. Despite the Russians did make some progress towards the biggest cities of Kiev or Kharkiv, and of course they are holding blockade of Mariupol, but they're not really able to proceed any further because the Ukrainian army is actually uh, you know, fighting back very, very hard. Fight week, day 16. Ukrainians gain strength. The Russians inflict pain on the most vulnerable, uh, and the Russians hit two cities, their new cities, previously untouched. And Russia tries strange, uh, to strangle Kharkiv and Maripol. They are in need of heat. They are in need of water. They are in need of food. We will have the latest. But they will not give up. They will not give in. They will not be occupied by the Russian army who really can't get together with the game plan. If I'm to tell you, ask, if I was pressed right now to say what is next for them, clearly they want to take Kiev, and I think they want to do it this weekend. At least they're trying to get close to doing that. And they have broken up that long caravan that they say was 40 miles long. They had fifteen to 20,000. They kind of spread some of the tanks and personnel carriers, and they put them on the tree line just a little bit. Here is President Zelensky with a message to the Russians. Cut to. You can still save yourselves if you just go home. Do not believe your commanders who say that you will still have a chance in Ukraine. 
nothing but prison and death awaits you here. You are taking our lives and will pay with yours. And he's not backing down. I mean, now he's walking outside again. Cut one. Mariupol, Volnovakha. Mariupol and Volnavoka remain completely blocked. Although we did everything necessary to make the humanitarian corridor work, Russian troops did not cease fire. Today they destroyed the building of the main department of the state emergency service in the Donetsk region. Right next to this building was the place where Mariupol residents were to gather for evacuation. This is outright terror, blatant terror, from experienced terrorists. The world needs to know that. It has to admit it. We are all dealing with a terrorist state. So the uh, mayor, Vitaly Klitschko, came out and said, if you're going to come and take Kiev uh, in a brutal way, get ready. Every street, every house, as I uh, look at his tweet here, every street, every house is being fortified uh, from territorial defense. Is, uh, the territorial defense is joining even people who in their lives never intended to change their clothes, meaning uniforms. Now they are in uniform with machine guns in their hands. They're also... Uh, asking any foreign fighters who want to come in, about 20,000 there already. And guess who else is asking foreign foreign fighters how desperate the Russians are? They're asking for Syrians or any from the Middle East to come volunteer. Yesterday on camera, a tape, Vladimir Putin said, yeah, if they want to come, they can come. Because nobody in Russia wants to do the urban fighting. They don't want to get out of their vehicles. I wouldn't either. But then again, I don't want to invade another country simply because they want to be a democracy. So I'm a little different than Vladimir Putin in that respect. So you're going to go take a city. The only thing you can do is bring in other fighters, and I think that's what they're doing. So they say if they want – this is a quote from uh, Putin. If you see that there are these people who want their own record, not for money, just to come in and help the people living in Donbass, then we, then we need to give them what they want and help them get to the conflict zone. Really help them get what they want. Vladimir Putin's really jailing you or fining you or punishing you if you use the term war or invasion. You have to say conflict. Or um, uh, you have to use the word Nazi for the reason they're in there to describe why they're having such issues with the Ukrainians when there really is no issues. About the actual fight, the one thing that's pretty clear, the Russians will never be looked at the same militarily. Their equipment is old. Their troops are unmotivated. They are lightly trained. They are not organized. Communication is terrible. And their ruthlessness and lack of conscience or going by any war rules is now evident for the world to see. Lieutenant Colonel Chuck DeVore, about what he's seen so far and what we can expect to see. Cut seven. What I think we need to be prepared for is for a long war. This war is going to go on longer and cause much more civilian suffering Uh, millions more refugees than have already happened. And we need to do everything we can to keep Ukraine in this fight, to help them continue to fight Russian aggression. Yeah, and give the Ukrainians everything they need, including those MiGs. you got to be kidding me. Why did we end up in such an embarrassing kerfuffle on these MiGs? These are 1980s version MiGs. They have the pilots. They have the room of the Air Force. They got the air bases still. Just deliver them. Stop worrying about everything that everybody else that Vladimir Putin is doing. Why are we always worry about provoking Vladimir Putin? It makes no sense to me at all. And I think that Mitt Romney put it great. Not with, no fly zone may be a bridge too far. But if you're going to give him stingers, you're going to give him javelins, you're going to give him food, you're going to give him flat out aid of billions of dollars, why not give him these? And I thought Mitt Romney put it great yesterday. Cut 28. 
the idea that somehow we're calculating what's effective for them to run their war and that our and that our stingers and our javelins are better than our aircraft it makes no sense at all they're better at running their own war they know what the conditions of the ground are they're there we're not and further our a10s would help we need to get them a10s that's the aircraft that's really ideally designed for this kind of warfare why are we dithering on that as well this makes no sense to me at all I thought he was 100% right. And do you consider Mitt Romney a warmonger? When you look at Senator Portman, do you think he's a firebrand Republican who, like Ted Cruz, a Republican way right or you're not right? That's not the way these guys are. That's why I played them. The other big story of the economy. I don't have to tell you that when, where you ever go to shop, when you go to get gas, when you go to the supermarket, when you go to get clothes, when you go out to a restaurant, when you go into a cab, when you go into a car service, soon when you go into a plane, everything is more expensive. Inflation and energy costs. This has a lot to do with the green agenda. The president embraced his entire presidency, vice presidency, John Kerry, the first green czar ever. All he talks about is green energy, but the technology is not there with renewables to dominate our economy. And now whenever you hear an administration official talk, they talk about Putin's inflation, Vladimir Putin's inflation. I know you don't buy that. I know you know better than that. But for President Biden to not only blame it on Vladimir Putin on a conflict that started two weeks ago that we're not directly in, and now we'd go off Russian gas, which he's proudly said we only have 3% of our imports. You cannot say 8.9% inflation and gas that's up 40% in, I think, three months that now in some places is $7 a gallon. I never thought I'd see that is because of Vladimir Putin's war. That makes absolutely no sense. And if you're going to say it's gouging by the oil companies and the refusal to take advantage of leases they have to drill on private land, forget it. When we come back, we're going to be joined by uh, Benjamin Hall. He's going to bring us out to the war zone and tell us the latest. It is so key that Vladimir Putin makes his last stand in Ukraine because if we don't stop him here, he is going to rearm, he's going to modernize, and he's going to be back and more belligerent than ever. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. Let's go out to the theater. Benjamin Hall, Fox News senior state uh, State Department correspondent. He's out in Kiev, uh, where uh, he's witnessing. Uh, I guess tensions getting all time high. Benjamin, as you look around, I, I I know we were with you all morning on Fox and Friends. 
as you look around, people say that if that siege is going to happen of your capital city, it's going to happen this weekend. Is that echoed? Is that the feeling that you get talking to people? Uh, absolutely, Brian. You know, but the thing is, we've been saying this for the last week. Uh, it was only a matter of days after the invasion started that Putin brought down that long convoy, surrounded or tried to surround the city. Uh, and they've been sitting 10 miles away, 10 to 15 miles away for the last 10 days. And it's a weird feeling in the city right now because every day we've expected this invasion to come, or at least the artillery strikes to come. And every day they haven't. And I'll be honest, when you first come here and the air raid sirens go off, everyone is incredibly nervous and jumpy, but they become second nature now. You barely even pay heed to them. So we're in this strange position where all the analysts, all the experts keep telling us it's happening today, it's happening today. We've seen the troop movements, we've seen the artillery places, we've seen what's happening elsewhere, it's happening today, but it doesn't come. And it has uh, it, it bemused a few people. Uh, quite a lot of people are not sure why it's taken so long. And yes, some people say it's because the Ukrainians have done so successfully in holding back the Russian forces. But if they wanted to fire cruise missiles at this city, they could have done that a long time ago and from very far away. If they wanted to shoot artillery at this city, they could have done that a long time ago. You've got ranges of 20, 30 miles to some of these artillery pieces. So we expect it to come. The Institute for the Study of War says uh, in the next 72 hours now. So we wait. We wait for, the, uh, for what people say is inevitable, but uh, we haven't seen it yet. We, we hear the bombing in the outskirts. There's no doubt that they are shelling and hitting the outskirts of the city very hard. But the capital itself, in the city center, uh, there's only been a few, uh, a few artillery shells dropping on some key strategic sites like the TV tower. So Ina Sovson, she's a Ukrainian um, uh, parliamentary member, said this about what's happening on the ground. I want to see if you agree. Cut five. The Ukrainian army is actually winning on the ground. Despite the Russians did make some progress towards the biggest cities of Kiev or Kharkiv, and of course they are holding blockade of Mariupol, but they're not really able to proceed any further because the Ukrainian army is actually, uh, you know, fighting back very, very hard. And just yesterday evening, we did have a, a very, well, a good evening for the Ukrainian army because they, they pushed Russians further on the northeast of Kiev. I mean, is, yeah, is, she, is that rhetoric or is that, is that reality? No, no, that's total reality. There's no doubt about it. The Ukrainians have held back the Russians uh, for two reasons. First of all, the Ukrainians are motivated, they're brave, and they're well-armed with these javelins, in particular, and these stingers, which can bring down the helicopters, the planes, and crucially hold back the tanks. But the other reason is, and every analyst and expert uh, military agrees on this, the Russians have performed terribly. The kit that everyone spoke about, everyone said that they spent the last 10 years building up a modern, uh, brand new military. We haven't seen that. Their tanks are rusting and antiquated. Um, many people say it's the corruption in Russia, that all the money that people thought was going to, uh, you know, into the military was in fact just being siphoned off. The other one is the conscripts. Most of the armed forces, the Russian armed forces, are 18-year-olds who didn't think they were coming into Ukraine to fight a war. Some of them thought they were just going to Belarus to carry out maneuvers. Others who did think they were coming into Ukraine thought they were doing so to liberate the, the country. And they're surprised that people were shooting back at them. They thought they would be welcomed with open arms. Tactically, they've been terrible. Some soldiers telling us the other day that it's like 1941. They've just taken these huge convoys, driven them down a road, and made it really easy for the Ukrainians to pick them off. The, tit, the front tank, the last tank, and you knock them out of, uh, easily. Uh, they don't have reconnaissance units. Any Western military has reconnaissance units, so you send small teams ahead to see where the traps are, where the, um, 
where the enemy might be waiting. They don't do that. They just send their guys down. Um, it does seem as if they are relying, or they thought they could rely on the sheer scale of the Russian military, that with 200-odd thousand troops, it didn't matter if you picked some off because they could just keep coming. And we do hear that from the Ukrainians. They're fighting bravely. They're doing well. But every time they kill Ukrainians and they knock out tanks, more keep coming. So whether or not, in the end, the sheer scale of the Russian forces can overwhelm the brave bravery uh, of the Ukrainians, we don't know. But there's no doubt about it. The Russians have performed terribly on the battlefield, which is why we've seen them bomb indiscriminately instead of going into cities. In fact, there's only one city in the country they're in. It's the t- city of Kherson. It's not a huge city. If you look at the other bigger ones, Mariupol and Kharkiv, they've just resorted to bombing them indiscriminately. It's really the only thing that the Russians can do. Uh, but it is a playbook uh, that Putin has used time and time again. So, yeah, Russia totally underperformed. And, uh, Putin reportedly furious about it. So he sacked a number of his close military advisors as a result. Yeah, they said eight generals have been fired, but that's according to uh, Ukraine. I'm not saying that they're, they're Baghdad Bob, but that is their side. You know, you, you know Russia is not admitting it. I don't know if I would believe they did. So there's two places that got bombed yesterday, first time, Nipro and uh, Lutsk. What, what was the significance of that? And do you think that that is softening up for something or they just saw a city that hadn't been touched? Well, look, Brian, if you look at the map, so far the Russians have been quite successful in taking territory around the Russian border. Um, Pushing into the heartland of Ukraine has been a lot harder. You talk about Dnipro. Well, that would require and does require a sort of push north from where they hold the areas around Crimea and Mariupol. It's a strategically important city. It's on a river. uh, And it would be like the first foray into the center of the the country. And that's where they're honestly going to find real, real difficulties, because once you push further in away from either Russia or Crimea, where you have uh, more forces, you have to supply those. Um, and the Russians have been terrible at giving logistics and supplies to, to their troops that are moving forward and into the country. Then, yes, we've also seen strikes further to the west. That's really significant. Some airfields around Lviv um, overnight were, were struck. And we think that's to do with uh, trying to cut off supply lines. Right now, as many weapons uh, as the West wants to send can get in. They're coming overland. They're coming in a big way. So Seeing the Russians strike in the West was significant. It's only airstrikes at the moment. And so, and frankly, these weapons are not coming in by air. They're coming in over land and by rail. So the airstrikes are one way of preventing them flying in. Perhaps it's a precursor trying to stop those MiG jets that Poland is willing to give. That's probably where they would have flown into if, uh, if they were going to come. So you bomb those airfields, it makes it harder to bring those in. But look, it, it, no one can quite read what Putin is trying to do tactically right now because it clearly hasn't gone his way. So we watch every day to see where he's going to hit next and what he might do. Um, I will be honest and say that I think that he is struggling and he's not quite sure how to proceed. If he goes for Kiev now, he is all in and there's no way back. Wow. Um, uh, and, and, you know, uh, the way you laid it, Benjamin up against a hard break, but the way you laid it out, he's not going to have success. But it's going to be brutal and bloody. Benjamin Hall, you're the best. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
the vice president's mission on this trip has been extremely straightforward. Her goal has been to reassure NATO countries that the U.S. will stand up uh, for their defense and to signal continued U.S. support, including for the humanitarian issues here in Poland, uh, now facing a massive influx of refugees, uh, the largest uh, movement of displaced people in Europe uh, since World War II. Uh, and by that relatively low bar, the vice president uh, has succeeded on this trip with flying colors. Unbelievable. Uh, the way people are spinning for this administration, it is really embarrassing. That is NBC, I believe. Now, what you don't see is Kamala Harris say anything of substance. She actually arrived in Poland and she had no explanation for why there was such a miscommunication between the two countries. None at all. She had no answer when asked, are we going to accept refugees in? When she's sitting next to a guy that's accept 1.4 million refugees, they say, will America lower their or have special provisions for Ukrainians, even if temporarily had no answer? In fact, instead of having no answer, she just skated and answered a different question. Now she's in Romania. Now, remember, she got a question, a legitimate question about refugees. This was her answer. Is the United States willing to make a specific allocation for Ukrainian refugees? And for President Duda, I wanted to know if you think and if you asked the United States to specifically accept more refugees. Okay. <laughs> a friend in need is a friend in need. <laughs> Carly Shimkus joins us now. I saw you rolling this this morning. She's in Romania answering questions. She's not going to the border. I hope she does. Carly, what's your take? You heard that NBC report. How could they actually spin that? Yeah, listen, um, the question that Kamala Harris was asked, too, is such an easy one to answer because the reason she did this press conference, really really the only thing of substance that she said yesterday was the Biden administration was giving 50 million more dollars to the refugee crisis. That's all you you have to say. Back to that, listen, I just made the announcement we're we're giving more money um, to the refugees. And, yeah, of course, the United States is a welcoming country. We haven't worked out um, exactly how that's going to happen yet. But if there are people, if there are Ukrainians that want to come to the U.S., We're going to try and expedite that process. Done. That's it. No laughter. This is not a laughing moment. And then you have uh, Yulia Mandel, the former uh, spokesperson for Vladimir Zelensky, posting that tweet. And, you know, Ukrainians are going through it right now. Uh, Their people are dying. Uh, This is one of the most catastrophic things that anybody alive right now has seen. And to see her giggle like that and laugh in in this time of great crisis, Yulia Mandel is saying, you know, it would be a great tragedy if Kamala Harris ever became president. The world is watching, and these moments matter, and she is absolutely not meeting the moment. What I do is just, at the very least, she's a human being. I imagine she's got a compassion level. Can you go see it for yourself? You could not keep me away from the border if I was there. I'd say, I I need to see what's going on. I need to see how you handle it. You know why? Because when you come back and speak to the president and others, and you say, listen, the polls are overwhelmed. Or they could say, these guys have it handled, but they're reaching a threshold behind this... Just see what well, you're I don't. I don't know if I completely fault her for not going to the border because she is the vice president. This is a very dangerous situation. Oh, I no, mean, I w- she's really close to a war zone. Carly, when you're in Poland, it's not dangerous. I mean, you're in you Poland. No, I'm sure that her security detail thinks it's dangerous. Uh, I, well, what is this? I mean, you have officials going it, to the border. It would be a nice moment for sure. It you would be, but I, I think that go. logistically, it could be a little bit more challenging than you know just going to the border the way we would. But here's the thing: if you target. Poland, all of NATO's got you in a war. Mm-hmm. She's in Poland. I'm not asking to go to Kiev. Yeah. 
I don't I also um, don't understand really exactly why she's there. Listen, I know that um, this is a display of NATO being united and I respect that and I think that's the right move. But you have to give the vice president something to say when she's there other than we are united. You can only say that in so many ways. And that has been, you know, just the one thing that she said, we are united. I can't emphasize this enough. I mean, I was hoping that when she made that speech yesterday, standing next to President Duda, she was going to talk about the MIGs and say, uh, we've worked out a negotiation with getting these planes to uh, Ukraine, planes that they desperately need. So a couple of things. Yeah, the planes they desperately need. And I just think it's kind of interesting. The people that are standing up and are acting outraged, they're not your normal cast of characters. It's not Senator Ted Cruz or... Or um, or Senator Josh Hawley calling out the administration because they do for everything. But Senator Rob Portman said this, cut 33. Nord Stream 2, the swift sanctions, the Stinger missiles, the banning of oil. What do all those things have in common? In each of those cases, the administration said no. In each case, they said no. And in each case, members of Congress, Republican and Democrat alike, took to this podium and the floor of the Senate, and other places, and talk to you in the media. And in each case, the administration did a 180, and they now support those things. So I'm not losing hope. I think this makes sense. I think this is the right thing to do. But to, these are Democrats. Rob Portman is echoing what Nancy Pelosi said to do a lot of these things. You have other people who aren't necessarily military minds, but they're Democrats who are like, I am not standing in their way. This administration is so timid. They're so battened down with fear and and reservations or lack of confidence. America's paying the price for this. Yeah. No, I actually I completely agree with you in that um, uh, that attack in Lutsk overnight attack of an airfield. That's where Ukrainians keep a lot of their planes, a lot of their MiGs. And I don't know if any of those planes were destroyed, but this is a war. So if the administration is saying, well, they don't need MiGs right now, they may need them in a week. And that's why uh, Vladimir Zelensky has been desperately asking for those planes. And I do think that if this was a Republican administration, they would have gotten them. There's just a fundamental difference um, in risk assessment between Republicans and Democrats. You saw it with COVID. Uh, foreign policy as well. Um, and yeah, a extremely timid response from the Biden administration. I respect the concern for escalation, but I also think that the thing that makes the most sense to me is what Mitt Romney said about about um, who should really be afraid of who. Yeah. So let, let's listen to here's uh, Senator Mitt Romney yesterday. So let's let's listen to what he had to say about this situation. I simply do not understand the logic for not getting the MiGs to the Ukrainians immediately. There is no logic which has been provided to this committee or to the nation for the lack of rapidity in making this decision and getting them the MiGs. It makes no sense. And if there are people in the administration that know the answer, I would suggest we get the occasion to meet with them, perhaps in a classified setting. But we need to know the reason why those MiGs have not been transferred already. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, also the mix has become. Uh, so, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, it's who's saying it, too. I mean, this yeah, is not I a know, guy that, as well. He loves getting along with uh, Joe Biden. He yeah. loves it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you think about the overall scope of the war and the pictures that we've seen rolling in. I mean, pe- people living in subways, uh, running out of food, water, uh, pregnant women, um, you know, who are about ready to give birth. And now they're covered in blood because their hospital was, uh, you know, bombed. 
Um, and this is happening in a first world European country. And it just feel it just really feels like we could be doing more. And I pray that we are behind the scenes. Right. And, you know, may, who knows? Uh, this is just complete speculation on my part. But it, the thought did cross my mind. You know, what if there is going to be a big transfer of planes? The Biden administration is saying, no, we're not doing it made behind the scenes. They're working at a deal. Get those planes to Ukraine under the cover of darkness. Uh, that would be a power move. And I and I hope something like that happens because Vladimir Zelensky, his people um, deserve, they deserve that. Yeah. They just they just simply deserve it. And they deserve the Western world to, you know, have the stones and stand up to Putin at this point and be and have their back 100 um, percent. Yeah, here's Ambassador Mike McFall, who was the ambassador to Russia uh, during the Obama years. Cut 24. We spent a little too much time talking about the details of those MiG-29s, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think in some ways that got, in, in tr- got us in trouble. Instead, we should just quietly send the weapons he needs yes. to help defend the exactly. air and defend against artillery. Of course. Uh, of course. So true. Right. I mean, what is going on? It makes you look so inept. It looks like you're totally confused. And the fact that she goes over the vice president to Poland, where all this miscommunication took place, and wasn't prepared to answer anything about the miscommunication is well, nuts. Yeah. I think her, her, her preparation was just to avoid the topic and talk about how, how unified they are. But obviously that um, question was going to come up, and it did seem like she was un- unprepared to answer it. And I completely agree with the fact that, you know, we're in the media. We want to talk about everything. We love the free exchange of information and ideas. But it does feel weird to have this much information about the planes that are being sent over to Ukraine. And now there's reporting on the S-300 missile system that I hope Ukraine gets. But uh, these are things that um, really should be done behind the scenes. The fact that we have this information is odd. Well, they they gave us – they kind of surprised me when they told us all the intelligence. I thought it might be using the press to tell something more extreme in order to tell everybody ahead of time and kind of scare Russia from doing this because everyone knew ahead of time. Well, it turns out everything they told us was true and happened. You know what they didn't do? They didn't spend all that time getting an S-300 system into their weapon system. They didn't spend all their time giving the 1980s Russian jets into into theater. They didn't spend all this time stocking up on water and food and MREs. And it just feels like everything's happening a little too late. Like this S-300 missile system, um, what this is, and I'm learning this as we go. Obviously, I'm not a military person, but it essentially can shoot a plane out of the sky in a a plane that's flying higher than one that you can shoot out using um, a a missile system that you carry on your shoulder, right? Right. Um, So – I remember I was talking to somebody in Ukraine on Fox and Friends first two weeks ago, and he was he was saying that's what we need from America. You know, these planes are one thing, but we we need these missile systems. We need the Patriot missile system. And the fact that we're just getting around to it now, it just seems like we're behind the eight ball. Right. And uh, you know what I love about it? As as Pete Hegseth was saying today, you know, it's up to Europe. They could take a lead. I'm I'm fine with they want to take the lead, but they shouldn't take the lead because we didn't want to. They're taking the lead because we're not. I, they say, hey, listen, you mind if I take the lead here? We need to seem in charge. I need to show my population I care. I saw the demonstrations in the streets. I feel like we're, I get it. You got it. I'm on your team. But when they go, you're not going to step up, I guess I'll have to step up. That's my problem. We're acquiescing because we're not capable of making a quick decision. And I am totally disappointed with our brain trust at the Pentagon. I could not be less impressed with the Secretary of Defense and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Coley Shimkus is contractually obligated to be here one more segment. Are you going to fulfill that obligation? I will. Back in a moment. 
Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If I did this, then it means that I stuffed my fist in the fears of black Americans in this country for over 400 years and the fears of the LGBTQ community. Your Honor, I respect you and I respect the jury, but I did not do this. That is Jesse Smollett after getting lambasted for 45 minutes by a judge. Because we all know why, too, by the way. We all know why, because... Let me just... I'm uh, trying to get my... The TV is coming back against me right here. There you go. I'm just going to have to manually put the volume down. But Carly Shimkus is here. And Carly, the one thing that, you know, normally it would be a bigger deal if we weren't at, uh, witnessing a war in Ukraine and Russia. But Jesse Smollett obviously staged his own hate crime at a time in which the country was already inflamed, at which time he w- exasperated racial tensions and everyone believed him. Kamala Harris ran to his defense. Every celebrity came out because he allegedly was a celebrity. I never heard of him. And then he comes out and it turns out this is the worst concocted hate crime in the history of man. And the two people that did it, also black uh, from Nigeria, they explained the whole thing. This guy, everybody in the world knew he was lying. And then he got destroyed by this judge. I know. I know. And I was surprised by his sentence. Um, five months in prison. That's a big deal. I just assumed that he was going to get probation and some, you know, a, a monetary fine. That's that's a huge deal. Yeah. And the judge, uh, this was all over Twitter. You turned your life upside down by your misconduct and shenanigans. There's nothing that any sentencing judge can do to you that can compare to the damage you've already caused yourself. He goes. He went on to say something like, Jussie Smollett is now a s- synonymous with the word lie. Um, and it was, it almost felt like it was part of Smollett's punishment. I think it was, to- I, don't, I don't know the typical conduct of a judge, but in this case, I felt like that was completely appropriate. Right. It's it it just disgusting what he did. I'm just shocked if this is not a television show, why he would do it for 45 minutes. I believe everything he says is your late night joke and everyone mocks you. But, okay. Well, why is a judge just lambasting him, saying, we know you lied repeatedly, Mr. Man, I'm going to give you five months. Do you think he does have, there's no cameras in the room? I don't know. I don't know. I also don't know if it really matters. I mean, listen, I think that the greater deal here is the fact that he got the five months. He can, it, he, he, clearly he destroyed his own life. And um, this is just so outrageous because he was trying to inflame racial tensions, like you said, at a time when they were already, um, you know, peak inflamed. He tried to make conservatives and Trump supporters look like racists. He did this all to himself, and he's still sticking to the fact that um, he he's innocent. I don't know. Maybe he has some psychological – he clearly has some psychological issues. I mean a sane person doesn't just do this. I was talking to my husband about it last night because he, he kind of makes fun of me for believe. I believe he's Jesse, in Chicago. You, right, yeah, but the reason we're talking about it had nothing to do with that. But I believed him in the beginning, and my husband was like, Carly, what, this is clearly a lie. And I just felt like, who would make this up? I mean, that's how crazy it is to me. Just who would make something like this up? And I was, I was wrong. Right, and he came out just to show you how nuts he is. He said, I would never shake my fist at 400 years of American injustice or black injustice. Yes, you did. You mocked it. And the next person that comes up and says it, there's going to be a skeptical uh, air about it. People are going to really have to verify. And for for Jesse Jackson 
and for Samuel Jackson, uh, of Al Sharpton to ask for leniency while not admitting this guy just lied and made their cause um, harder yeah. and their case harder to sell? I know. I just think that it would be just freeing for him. I I don't really care about how he feels, but it would be freeing for him if he just said, listen, I screwed up. I did this. This was on me. I'm going to serve my time. I apologize. And then maybe people can get over it. Maybe he can then rebuild his life, start getting the acting gigs. But as long as he's continuing to say that he is innocent and everybody knows he's not, it's just so, it's so weird and such a joke. Thank you. Uh, lastly, this is a little bit of a left turn, but there's one story percolating underneath that regardless of how this war turns out is really going to matter. Keep your eye on Germany. This guy, Olaf Scholz, has already pledged 100 billion euros to start building up his defense, something they haven't done in 40 years. He also is saying they are going to start looking to, uh, that's 2% of their gross national product, looking to other avenue when it comes to uh, oil and gas away from Russia. And then they're going to start rebuilding nuclear and start putting together a legitimate defense. I did not realize it. But there's been an apologetic attitude in Germany since World War II to the degree it still exists in 2022. And they say that one way to show the world we have no interest in invading was to set up this relationship with Russia and why Donald Trump and others like us were exasperated. Why would you do this? It's like, well, I want to show there's no – I'm not going to invade again. Now they can officially say we are – it's not our problem. They're the problem. And we are going to go elsewhere and no longer be economically tied to them. Wait, Keep your eye on this guy, Olaf Scholz. Yeah. He's uh, the opposite of Angela Merkel, Absolutely. Angela Merkel, who you know created this deal with Russia, cut the defense spending, and now it feels like he's you know making up for lost time, doing the right thing. Right, uh, and she was born in East Germany. Maybe she never lost that yeah. Soviet mindset. Uh, and I really Interesting ins- perspective, Brian. Thank you very much. I'll see you tomorrow on Fox and Friends first. Sounds good. Daylight yes, you will. savings time. Don't oh, oversleep. Boy. Can't wait. Back in a moment. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, and, of course, maybe really around the world. Maybe people listening in the Ukraine just know we have their back. Could not be more impressed as they're under siege by a Russian military that, needless to say, is underperforming and overhyped. And maybe the biggest person, that, the most surprised by how bad they're performing might just be Vladimir Putin. Geraldo Rivera is standing by. But before we get to Geraldo, let's see if there is indeed a big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They finally have something that they think they can blame it on. But what was really notable about these numbers is that if you strip out some of the more volatile sectors like energy and food, the numbers are still eye-popping for everything else. And you certainly can't blame Vladimir Putin for rising uh, restaurant prices or rising furniture prices. That was Kimberly Strasser, Wall Street Journal, weighing in. The economy, who's to blame for the sky-high inflation, skyrocketing gas prices, and our dependence on evil empires for energy? According to the administration, it is all Vladimir Putin and those evil oil companies. I have a different view. 
Number two. Nord Stream 2. The swift sanctions. The Stinger missiles. The banning of oil. What do all those things have in common? In each of those cases, the administration said no. In each case, they said no. And in each case, the administration did a 180. And they now support those things. Wow. Uh, suffocating American sanctions might be an illusion. And the maddening decision that have the Biden administration happily leading from behind is nuts. Not only are we trailing our allies on weapons and economic attack plans, they're also lagging behind the Democrats in Congress. Number one. They accuse us, again, us, that we are allegedly developing biological weapons. This makes me really worried because we've been repeatedly convinced if you want to know Russia's plans, Look at what Russia accuses others of. Here we go. The fight. Uh, here we are. Fight week two. Uh, Ukrainians gaining strength. The Russians inflict pain on the most vulnerable as they hit two cities previously untouched. And Russia tries to strangle Kharkiv and Maripol, who don't have heat, don't have water, don't have food. A guy who is no stranger to war zones himself, Geraldo Rivera in studio at the bottom of the air, Carl Rove. Geraldo, uh, first off, the biggest surprise to date about this conflict is now 16 days old. I think that's the biggest surprise, that in 16 days, not 24 hours, not 48 hours, but now into its third week, well into its third week, uh, Russian forces have not in any way humbled Ukraine. They've inflicted awful suffering. Uh, they've, uh, they've devastated infrastructure. Uh, their artillery willy-nilly has terrorized every city in eastern Ukraine. But look at Mariupol, for example, the city uh, on, the, uh, on the Black Sea. That city has been besieged with an iron vice for two weeks, essentially. And yet it holds. Yep. Yet the Ukrainian flag flies over Mariupol, despite the fact that they are burying people in mass graves, despite the fact that they've blown up maternity hospitals, despite the, despite the fact they've killed babies and torn open the stomachs of pregnant women, despite everything the Russians have done to terrorize that city, it holds. Ukraine holds. Now they're encircling Kiev, the capital. This will be the, the seminal battle. I don't know if the Russians have the spit anymore. I don't know the, if they can. Uh, and if they do get into Kiev with those Ukrainian fighters, with Klitschko, the, the boxer, and his twin brother and all the rest of them, and then Zelensky, then they're going to be grinding through that urban wasteland forever. So um – I was always, as usual, when you answer the question, I got nine places to go. But one of which, when you talk about holding a city, I was shocked by this. Kyrgyzstan is the only city that is held by uh, by the Russians. And do you know what the Ukrainians are doing every day? They're protesting in the streets. They're harassing the Russians. So instead of them reconfiguring, reloading, and getting ready to take Mikolov, I think that's the way you say it, and then get set to take Odessa, they're bombing the heck out of Mikolaev. At the same time, Kyrgyzstan is not settled. That probably has everything to do with why Odessa is not hit. Odessa, the big port city uh, to where I trace uh, my my grandparents on my mom's side from Odessa. They fled the wow. pogroms in the early 20th century. So it's a city that is near and dear to— Did you do that 23andMe or did you know that? No, I did not know that, but I did 23andMe nice. and found out. Yeah, And uh, actually, my nephew, uh, Billy— Presented me with the uh, the document. We, my niece, you, as you probably know, passed away, and so we were all talking about the family roots and everything, and we traced it back to Odessa. I mean, we knew, but then didn't specifically hone in on the fact that that's where uh, the uh, the Friedman family hails from. 
Uh, but it's just awful what's happening, right? It's, it's stomach churning. And, you know, I heard the mention of the biological and the chemical yes. uh, weapons. I just want to say that there is no way on God's green earth or God's convoluted earth that the United States of America will allow chemical or biological weapons to be used. Wow. That will be the red line that will unleash not only the MiG-29s, but an incremental jump in the U.S. contribution to the Ukrainian war effort. U.S. and they'll drag Western Europe in with them because this is will not be tolerated. Civilization cannot sustain uh, biological or chemical weapons. I thought you were going to say the other way. I thought you were going to say there is no red line, there's no way on God's green earth we ever get involved there. But listen to Jen Psaki answer that very question. Why not consider some alternate strategy to communicate to Russia the consequence if they are to do a bio or chemical weapon strike inside Ukraine? They like what? I'm, a- I'm asking you. In other words, why not communicate? You, you won't say like if it's a red what? line, right? Because you won't say that it's not our intention right now. So let me start there. Is, is there any red line for Russia that the U.S. would have some involvement with the military entered in Ukraine? I'm not going to get into red lines from here, Peter. What I would tell you is that when, when I said we have not got, let anything go unanswered, what I mean is that we have amped up a range of military and security assistance, a historic amount to Ukraine, in, including a range of defensive weapons, which we've expedited the delivery. Even in the last 10 days, we've, we've delivered about $240 million of that. And also we've provided a range of humanitarian okay, assistance. Okay, uh, you got it. So she's not going to answer the question. I don't necessarily blame her for that. But how do you strategize that? For example, we let, we let everybody know every minute Article 5 is going to be reinforced. Article 5 is going to be reinforced. Just so you know, you hit Estonia, you hit Poland, we're, we're bombing you back. Got it? Understood. Do you say red line after Barack Obama used his red line line and didn't back it up and really pay the, we pay the price as a country for that? Once you draw the line in red, you have to stand you have to, you know, you back have it to up. stand and back it up. Uh, I – want you to remember the picture. I think her, the photographer was Lindsay Adario on the front page of the New York Times on Monday. They had the family, uh, the two children sure. and the mom and the, and the neighbor. The four of them were with killed. With the suitcase. With the suitcase after they crossed that hell bridge. And, they, they, and then they did profiles of them. But just remember the picture itself, the picture of the child. And I never saw in the New York Times a picture of certainly not a, a white child. Uh, you know, because sometimes in Africa they, they put piles of victims and war crimes and so forth. But I've never seen it in Europe. I've never seen the faces of two little children who had been murdered by an artillery strike before. It was horrifying with their little uh, quilted jackets and their, uh, their, their knapsacks, their school knapsacks, murdered. Imagine now that same scene where their faces are distorted because they choked on gas. Just imagine that scene. Two little children, their faces contorted Would you always they brush me back by not acting – you say, Brian, you know, the war is hell. Would you always brush me back when I, when I say things like that? And I always respect it. But now it seems as though you feel differently. I do not believe the civilized world can tolerate that scene. I think that there is – an. The rules of war are very uh, – they're interpreted opportunistically by whoever is on the, the side being criticized. The rules of war, there is still some remnant of civil, civiliz- civilized conduct. Gassing children is so far beyond that line, Brian, that I believe that it will escalate this conflict 
in a way that nobody knows where it stops. True. I am struck by a couple of things. With this administration, Democratic-led House and Senate, when I played that Portman interview, there's a reason why I think it's significant that Portman said it, Mitt Romney saying it. They, are, they go out of their way to reach across the aisle, especially in Portman's case. He's retiring. He's saying in every case, whether it's sanctions, whether it's not buying Russian oil, most, fa- most favored nation trade status, whether it's going after SWIFT and Nordstrom too, the administration has said no. Congress said yes, and Europe has said yes. Are you comfortable with that? To me, if you're elected president, it's incumbent on you to lead, not react to your own Congress and to Europe. I don't want to say I wish Mitt Romney was president right now, although I— He's your I, favorite I, guy. I, I, right he now, is right? my favorite guy. Uh, I, I, I trust what he is saying. I believe that he is a prudent, reasonable person. Rob Portman I like, you know, the retiring Ohio senator. I've interviewed him uh, several times. Former OMB my, director. All of that. This situation cannot stand where people are being wiped out by an invading force, the United States has to stand for their survival. And I think that Romney's got it right. And I believe, that to answer your specific question about Joe Biden leading rather than, yeah. or following rather than leading. And being timid. I'm, I'm much more uh, tolerant of him and his prudence, and I understand the responsibility that he bears. And I thought he did a wonderful job in the run-up to the war where his, he released the intelligence and we knew exactly when Love Russia— Love it, but I was hoping have, they were arming Ukraine at the same time. Yeah, well, that, that, I, they, I think they were by then arming Ukraine. They certainly weren't—that was in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but is, is he the decisive war leader that uh, we hope for? Uh, we have that person, and his name is uh, President Zelensky. Amazing. That's called leadership, instinctive leadership, without notes. A guy that was, uh, I guess the, the storyline was he was a high school teacher who threw a tweet or through social media, captures everyone's attention, becomes president of Ukraine. And then he goes, you know what, I'm going to run for president. And, uh, you know, when I'm doing this, this, this uh, feature called Who is President Zelensky after Who is Vladimir Putin? And in looking back at his background, I know why Putin thought he was a soft guy and an easy touch. Number one, he ran on, I'm going to have better relations with Vladimir Putin. Number two, when he was coming up as a comic and as a performer, his goal was to play in Moscow. And that was his goal. He looked up to Russia. And he was born in which was once the Soviet area. So he didn't have that negative feeling. Plus, as a comic, Vladimir Putin's looking at him and go, really? Do you know who you're dealing with? And now this guy stood up. And you could tell even when an actor's performing. I can't even Will Smith. I could tell when he's acting, except for the Richard Williams thing. That was unbelievable. He's not acting. This guy feels the leadership in his town. I, I sense it, but I, I think there's an absence of imagination overall. I want you to hear Ambassador Michael McFall, who was ambassador for uh, uh, for to Russia for Barack Obama. Cut twenty-two. But if we can establish, and I think we have established, by the way, that Putin was more that was more bark than bite that he is not going to go on a suicide mission and launch a nuclear holocaust, then you have to say, well, what is between where we're at now and below the threshold of nuclear holocaust? It's a lot. And when we say we're in fear of escalation, I want some more fidelity to what that means. Because I don't think he can attack NATO right now for the reasons I already described. Just as a posture, even the way we talk, 
We have to talk with more confidence about what we're doing. The world wants us to be stronger, not just the Ukrainians, but in the Middle East, in Asia. They want us to be stronger. And I think we need to understand that that has implications for what we do in Ukraine. If we lose in Ukraine, that has giant implications for our strategic posture around the world. And, and I think rather than being cautious, we need to lean into that fight and do whatever we can to not give Putin a victory in Ukraine. It's a diplomat. And I'm all for everything he said. And I think that that is true. And I think that Putin understands that it is true. That's why I can't figure out what Putin had in mind when he did this. Why did he do it? Why did he invade Ukraine? Why, he, what's he got Russia away with got Georgia. He got away with Donbass and Crimea. And he thought, this is going to be the – this is it. I'm going to brush them back for good. Uh, I'm gonna, Just last thing really on this. One of the imaginative things, one of these military guys came out and said, said, why don't we start getting them thinking about us? If they're going to take 20,000 troops out of Syria, why don't we tell the Kurds to go get on the offensive? You know, start moving on the Syrian capital. Make, make Russia think twice. Where are our ships deployed? Why aren't we somehow going into the Black Sea on maneuvers in international waters? Why don't we get them thinking about what we're up to? Black Sea is a very difficult and Turkey is in charge of who goes in and out of the Black Sea. So I, I, I would be interested in what Erdogan would, would do. I don't know what the Turkish oh. leader would do. I want to say – I've got a flashback to one thing, to Zelensky. We, we started this yeah. segment. Zelensky cannot be killed now. It is impossible for him to die. He will not ever die. He is immortal. He has made himself the Leonidas of Ukraine. He's he's indelible now in the history. If he dies, he'll be bigger than he is in, even in life. Uh, and it could be that he can still win this, that he can be the Alamo, uh, that, that, that Kiev can withstand the, the assault. Uh, and so far as what we do and how far we take this, can you imagine with Putin's army, his vaunted army and all the uh, all the video that right. they've released and all they were playing, can you imagine him trying to go into Poland with that army? I hear you. He'd be chopped to pieces. Yeah, the only thing you could do is try to get China involved, and they won't do it. Uh, Geraldo Rivera sticks around for one more segment because I really forced him to because I <laughs> teased that he's going to stick around for one more segment. I didn't even go over that with him. Back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Geraldo Rivera is starving. He needs <laughs> he needs to get breakfast or lunch or both. Geraldo, do you have the five tonight? Not tonight. No, I don't do Friday. But are you doing a special? Johnny for... Carson told me that. You should learn that. Lesson. What? Which is what? Try never to work on Friday. Right. Can you tell Suzanne Scott that? I mean, I do Fox and Friends, but then I'm off. Right. But it opened also up the opportunity for Dean Martin to fill in and Jay Leonard to fill in right, and, right. and other people. Joan Rivers. Right. And then, uh, Joan, that worked out well. Geraldo, uh, uh, Leslie, are you enjoying the five and all the specials you're doing and everything like that? I mean, you didn't plan on working this much, right? You wanted to be special, be a contributor. Yeah, they should have given that uh, this damn job 10 years ago. I tell you that much. Uh, you know, t I never expected at age 78 to sign a long-term contract and get a gig on a big hit show. I didn't. That was I mean, never in my plan. Number one show. Number one show. Often, often uh, we we go head to head with Tucker Carlson, uh, but it, it's a wonderful mix. You've done the show many times. Yeah. You know, it's a. I I love that the, there's the banter, uh, but then there's also a serious presentation and the different ideological, philosophical, political points of view are right. all represented, and there's respect. There's mutual respect. 
Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, it gets heated, but I think that but makes it's all great real. TV. It's real. nothing not real. Nothing that not real. Nothing. And, not and real. I think Harold uh, Ford's a great example. He's wonderful. Judge Janine is great. Right? She's wonderful. But it, they don't cut. It doesn't cut on ideological lines. Like uh, I know roughly. I don't know every time where Greg's going. I don't know where you're going ever. <laughs> I mean, I'm totally unpredictable. And I think there's a mutual respect there. But in all the shows that you've done, you're on by yourself, being an ensemble, 2020. Why do you think the five works? Pull yourself out of it for a second. Why do you think? I think that's a great question. I think Roger Ailes was a genius to have the idea. I really do think that it's the news and you get all the information you need, but it's not the end of the world every day. Right. A little bit upbeat. A little bit upbeat. Right. All right, Geraldo, uh, you can eat, and no, I will not pay for your lunch or your (laughs) breakfast. It's a radio show. I don't have that type of budget. It's a great, my pleasure. All right, go, go get him, Geraldo. Thanks. Back in a moment. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Are you guys just going to start blaming Putin for everything until the midterms? Well, we've seen the price of gas go up at least 75 cents since President Putin lined up troops on the border of Ukraine. And and last month, the statement didn't mention the Putin price hike. It mentioned inflation because of the pandemic. Why is that? Well, Peter, last year... Last two years, there was a global pandemic. Everyone who's a global economist have all agreed that that has been the biggest contributor to date of inflation because of the impact on the supply chain. Obviously, global events impact the economy, the global economy, as well as global inflation. And the uh, price hikes as a result that have escalated over the course of time of President Putin's further invasion of uh, the impact on the global oil markets are, of course, having an impact. Well, uh, Larry Summers, among the people who do not believe that uh, uh, the believe that they are immune, uh, the the administration is not as immune from taking total responsibility for what's happening in inflation, as well as what's happening with gas and oil prices. But he wants to blame Putin. Will anyone buy that? A guy who's a master of messaging joins us now, Carl Rove. Uh, you know Carl Rove. He doesn't even need an introduction. Carl, can you appreciate how the administration is looking to pass the blame? Well, I can understand they don't want to be responsible for it. But look, you mentioned Larry Summers. Larry Summers, in I think it was February of 2021, shortly after President Biden took office, uh, said inflation was not transitory and that the build back, excuse me, the American Rescue Plan would make things worse. And he was right. The government spent between the summer of 2020 and the fall of 2021, the amount of government spending that was pumped into the economy was equal. Normally, it's about 20 percent of GDP over the course of a year. It was 100 percent of GDP during that period. So the government was spending, by borrowing from the future, as much money as we normally have in our economy in a year. And what happened? We had we ended up with too much money chasing too few goods, and prices began to rise last year dramatically. In fact, the latest inflation numbers, 7.9% year over year, that's through February. That's before uh, Putin. That's before the invasion of Ukraine. And in the last three months, no, December, 
January and February, it's up 8.4 percent. The, the, the bulk of the increase in oil prices and the bulk of the prices uh, increased prices that we pay at the pump, they happened before Ukraine became an issue. And so blaming it on Putin, fine. Putin's responsible for a couple of, uh, for a little bit of it, but most of it is this administration's policies and the fiscal policy of the United States that is depreciating the value of the American currency by spending money we don't have and borrowing it. Uh, very true. And I think there's one other thing that's happening. And listen, I'm loving to see the Russians being unmasked as nothing but uh, cruel behemoths who are not nearly the fighting force that everyone thought they were. It makes It's great news for the entire region, and especially for Western Europe and for the NATO alliance. But they have to pay the price here. And that's why it's so important that they cannot survive this intact and in, in, the, uh, in the perfect world. Vladimir Putin will be done, finished, he'll be through. Senator Rob Portman pointed something out. And I think you agree, Carl. He's probably the least political Republican, even more less political than Mitt Romney. Cut 33. Nord Stream 2, the SWIFT sanctions, the Stinger missiles, the banning of oil, what do all those things have in common? In each of those cases, the administration said no. In each case, they said no. And in each case, members of Congress, Republican and Democrat alike, took to this podium and the floor of the Senate and other places and talked to you in the media. And in each case, the administration did a 180. And they now support those things. So I'm not losing hope. I think this makes sense. I think this is the right thing to do. And he talked to you, and when he says the right thing to do is to give him MIGs. But he talked about how the Democratic-led Congress has pushed the president to act, not necessarily to do something different. The president just, I guess, instinctively wants to do nothing all the time. Well, I think he's absolutely right that uh, the administration did a flip-flop. I'd add one other thing on it. And look, I, I, let me say this first. I applaud what the administration has done. I wish they'd done it earlier. I mean, to put yourself in Vladimir Putin's position. He's looking at, first of all, he, he remembers well the Obama-Biden Biden years, where we were weak and feckless on the world stage. And so his his inclination is is that Biden is going to repeat the mistakes of 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 not responding to Syria, of of not responding when he moved in and took Crimea, being weak and flat, feckless. In comes Biden, January twentieth, twenty twenty one. Almost immediately cancels the XL pipeline. Almost immediately takes says we're going to pause. Uh, on uh, issuing permits to drill on federal land and federal water for hydrocarbons uh, it, it, uh, almost immediately. And he looks at that and says, you've achieved energy independence, which is a strategic weapon in the arsenal of democracy. Why are you taking it away? We, we, you know, I'm glad you are, but why are you doing that? Then in March, they put out the defense budget, a 2% increase, less than inflation. And not only that, but when they put out the defense budget, they herald what? All of the money that they're going to be spending on climate. We're going to have electric non-combat vehicles, and eventually we'll have electric combat vehicles. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, General Patton, but the, 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 the skies are clouded over, over the, the, bul the bulge, and we, we, we're not able to move the tanks because their solar panels haven't replenished. So then in, in May, the president, without getting anything, removes the sanctions placed on Nord Stream 2 by, the, by Trump. He gets nothing out of it. Then in June, because he's going to go see Putin, he halts the tra transfer of lethal weapons to Ukraine, 
Why? Because he's going to go see Putin. And Putin looks at all this and says, weak and feckless, and then long comes the retreat from Afghanistan, where we have less than 3,000 people, and the last combat death was a, almost a year and three quarters before, and we have no combat role, but, but our presence there is keeping the Taliban at bay, and we give it up and pull out in the disaster that we all saw on our television cameras. And what does Vladimir Putin say? He says, even you know, America will run. And so he miscalculated both about the Ukrainians and the United States and NATO and the resistance that he would run into and the effectiveness of his own troops. But there was a reason why he ended up doing what he did, and that is he looked as a rational actor that the Biden, the Obama-Biden administration and then Biden's actions as president and said, I can get away with this. Absolutely. I think you're right on all those accounts. And just the thing is, in life, uh, Carl, with you and I if, I, if you and I are in a fight and I uh, my gesture to you would be find something that you want get done and I get it done, that would be an overture of my outstretched hand. Vladimir Putin does not respond to that. Remember, Barack Obama moves the missile shield from uh, from uh, Czech Republic and Poland without being asked as a gesture of goodwill because it bothered him. He saw it as weakness. Remember when he leaned over and said, tell Vladimir I can work with you. He saw it as weakness. In the West, yeah, we would think it as an outstretched hand. flexibility. Right. So, yeah. But you know, normally, if that's somebody you want to make peace with, a Democrat on the other side, hey, Chuck Schumer, if you're Mitch McConnell, maybe we could work together on immigration reform after the midterm election. That's how we work. But every time... That we show that we want to work with Vladimir Putin, he looks at his weakness. And I did not know this, but one of the Zelensky ran on having better relations with Russia. He says, I bet you I'm going to be uh, get along better with Vladimir Putin than you, Pershenko. And that helped him win. But guess how Vladimir Putin interpreted weakness? When you do this MIG deal, you would think you're being calculated and smart. He looks at it as weakness. We have to understand our opponent do you agree? I totally agree. And and look, I I understand the polls don't want to look like they are, you know, they they want to lateral it to us and be our decision. But make our decision. I mean, we're already making decisions. You think you think Putin is sitting there saying, "Oh yeah, I, I, the United States isn't doing anything when it transfer when it transfers stingers uh, and, and 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 javelin anti tank missiles." They're, they're they're you know, when, and so the Ukrainians can defend themselves. But I'm going to get really upset if they allow them to fly old Soviet aircraft. No, I mean he's already if he's going to be angry, he's already going to be angry. Carl, you know this is historic time. You know that we haven't had this opportunity since Gorbachev and Yeltsin took over and gave indications that they were trying to be part of the world community. Then Putin came in and changed all that. Now, whether you think in retrospect in the West, going ahead and allowing the Baltic nations and others to come into NATO, we can debate that in some think tank. But now Vladimir Putin's put his best foot forward. He reportedly fired nine separate generals. He, If you believe some of the reports from Ukraine, let's say half are true. He's lost between five and 9,000 troops. That's more than Iraq and Afghanistan with us over the course of 15 to 20 years. So you are being, he's being exposed now as NATO's never looked more unified and Sweden and Finland are indicating they want in. What, do you, what is the message to the American people now about why Ukraine matters? It, it matters because if Putin succeeds— 
it says if you are a strong man, if you're if you're a dictator, an autocrat, and you want to invade the, a sovereign neighbor and subjugate them by violence, you have a license to do so. It says that Russia is on the move, and you better be on their side or be friendly to them or accede to their demands, fall into their orbit if you're in Central, and, uh, Central Europe, or the same thing could happen to you. It also gives license to China to follow suit. If, if, if Russia can pull it off, surely they can pull it off. And, and the order of the, uh, that we have known since World War II, where there have been relatively few, relatively few, there's been no worldwide conquest, no worldwide war. There's been no war in Europe outside of the, the war in the Balkans uh, since World War II. That, that'll be ended. The international order as we know it of, of respect for the borders of yeah. sovereign nations, for mechanisms that allowed us to avoid war breaking out everywhere all the time, uh, you know, restraint on the power of dictators, those things will be diminished or gone entirely. See, my thing is, is that we have an opportunity now uh, or to confront this in every way possible without directly going against Russia because of this whole proxy war, Cold War, uh, uh, unsaid rules that we've, we've practiced from Vietnam to uh, Korea to Afghanistan. We'll supply the opposition, but we won't go directly at you. And we could even make our stand here where it's going to be even harder in two or three years. It's going to be much harder in five years. Can we do one thing for the next generation and help them out in one area? Now, you know about messaging, and you know about blaming Vladimir Putin for oil and gas. You know the oil and gas industry, and they've been on their heels apologetic for spending their lives in fossil fuel. It is time for them to stand up and explain exactly what this administration has done to hurt them because they are vilifying them, saying, look at all the leases that are left. Look at all the opportunities we've had to uh, uh, look at how we've allowed all these other permits to take root. Uh, we have decided to let you drill as much as possible. We're drilling more this year than than Trump's first year. Oil and gas industry has to stand up and explain what this administration's actually done. Will they do it? I think so. Uh, and I know uh, I've read a very strong letter, for example, from a head of the largest natural gas company in America that he sent to the administration and to Elizabeth Warren saying, you don't know what you're talking about when you blame us for high prices in New England. Because it, it, the real problem with natural gas prices in New England is there's no pipeline to send the gas there. That's why you pay 10 times as much in New England that, that, that people pay in Ohio or Pennsylvania or, or West Virginia for natural gas because there are pipelines that bring the natural gas to them. But, yeah, they need to step up. There's one other thing we need to do, though, as a country, and that is we need to stop running ourselves down. We are the only major industrialized economy in the world that has done two things simultaneously, grown our economy and reduced for almost 20 years the absolute level of greenhouse gas emissions almost every year, year over year, for nearly for several decades. We're the only ones. We're the only ones that are doing it. If the rest of the world was doing what we are doing, remember, China's not even supposed to begin reducing its emissions of greenhouse gases until 2035 or 2040. You know, if they were doing what we were doing, 
this problem, that if you have a problem about climate, if you're concerned about it and you want fewer greenhouse gas emissions, then you ought to be applauding what the United States is doing and saying, how can we take what is happening in the U.S. of A. and get other countries to model themselves on us? Because we're the only ones that are doing it. So let's stop apologizing. If you're worried about greenhouse gases, look at the United States, and we're providing the leadership for the world. The I repeat, the only major industrialized economy in the world that's both growing its economy right. so life is more prosperous for its people and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Another, another pie in the sky uh, statement. I think maybe on some level, as the American people are united in backing Ukraine and see they're just fighting for freedom, as imperfect as their government was, uh, they are desperate to be part of the West, not the East. Do you think we're recalibrating and maybe understanding what we're taking for granted in every day, a free and open democracy? Do you think at some point the kitchen table dining room or the dinette set. They're talking about that. Final thought? I think you're right. In fact, I I wrote my column yesterday about the first poll that I've seen that had a lot of detail on on Ukraine and the attitudes of the American people. And it it surprised me, looking at the partisan breakdown, how you relatively united Democrats, Republicans, and independents are about who's to blame for this, the necessity to stand with the people of Ukraine, the necessity of providing them arms and and uh, and and weapons and support, and even on the question as as controversial as refugees, how united we are that we have a moral obligation to take some of the people who are suffering uh, mm-hmm. and, and fleeing the violence and, and welcoming them to our country. Yep, uh, Vladimir Putin brought to you the NATO, the European Union, and helped America. Thanks, Vlad- Vladimir. I owe you one. Uh, thanks so much, Karl Rove. You bet. All the uh, best. You got it. We're going to come back and, and wrap things up. Also, a special look at Germany and why they matter. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We are clear that any intentional attack or targeting of civilians is a war crime. Period. Full stop. That was uh, Vice President Harris uh, just uh, in Romania and still not going to the border there. Uh, Quick thing. I do have something uh, to announce. Number one, One Nation will be on at 8 and 11 o'clock. We've got cutting-edge guests, including uh, David Petraeus. He might be the best active, I guess he's uh, retired, but the best general in, uh, in modern American history. And then the most respected he, guy who mentored him is, is another great one, and that is uh, General Jack Keane. Also, we have news. There's a problem with the Iranian talks. Why? Because it looks like the Russians are saying we will only do this and move forward with this terrible Iranian deal is if we make Iran immune from further sanctions. That's a non-starter. Everyone left the room. Hopefully it stops forever. Why does Germany matter? Germany matters because it's made the most dramatic change of policies in the quickest period of time in my lifetime. They are now going to switch and start putting $100, million, $100 billion into their defense to get over 2% of their defense. They are now going to make a conscious effort, a all-hands-on-deck effort to get off Russian oil and gas, and they're going to be looked to produce their own as well as start pushing nuclear energy. They're going to have a new stance, a leadership stance. I don't want a muscular Germany. I want a Germany that's determined to protect the West. 
and no longer be apologetic for what happened in World War I and World War II. This guy can do it. He's already done it. That's some more good news that's come out of this horrible conflict. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 General Jack Keane, who's actually on television right now, will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. Things are really moving in Ukraine as they begin to uh, break up that convoy, start sending it into the woods in some cases for, cloud, uh, for some cover, and others, uh, other parts of the 40-mile convoy are going to ring around Kiev. They're going to have a hard time if they're going to get into urban fighting. I'm talking about the Russians. I'm not saying they're not going to inflict some uh, hurt because they have no values, they have no ethics. Do you know that they bombed two separate places yesterday? One they aimed at a kindergarten, the other just at the middle of town square. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They finally have something that they think they can blame it on. But what was really notable about these numbers is that if you strip out some of the more volatile sectors like energy and food, the numbers are still eye-popping for everything else. And you certainly can't blame Vladimir Putin for rising uh, restaurant prices or rising furniture prices. The economy, who's to blame for the sky-high inflation, skyrocketing gas prices, and our dependence on evil empires for energy? According to the administration, Vladimir Putin, oil companies, and of course, you. Number two. Nord Stream 2, the swift sanctions, the Stinger missiles, the banning of oil. What do all those things have in common? In each of those cases, the administration said no. In each case, they said no. And in each case, the administration did a 180. Suffocating and support those things. Suffocating American sanctions. Oh, it's kind of an illusion. And the manning decision that have been the Biden administration's happily leading from behind is embarrassing. Not only are they trailing our allies when it comes to weapons and economic attack plans, they're also lagging behind the Dems in Congress. Number one. They accuse us, again, us, that we are allegedly developing biological weapons. This makes me really worried because we've been repeatedly convinced if you want to know Russia's plans, look at what Russia accuses others of. Sadly, that might be right. Here we are, week uh, day 16, week 2. Ukrainians gaining strength. The Russians inflict pain on the most vulnerable Russia, uh, the most vulnerable people in Ukrainian society as they try to strangle Kharkiv and Maripol, but they cannot take either city. We have to find a way to supply both those places. With me right now is Dr. Marty McCary, and Dr. McCary in particular I know we, we always focus on what's going on with COVID-19, but when you look at what's happening in these cities, they're living in rubble. They're, in the case of those two cities in particular, there is no food, there is no water. I mean, how much time do you have with, neither one of the, with either one of those things at your, at your, uh, at your fingertips? Well, Brian, it's, it's really concerning because you could basically go about three days with zero water. Now, assuming people have a little bit of water reserves and bottles, may have filled up their, their bathroom tub with water, which is a known emergency strategy that people use, maybe you can get a couple weeks out of it, but not much more. And so that's the concern here. And my bigger concern was the bombing of the hospital. That is a line that's never been crossed in war until Syria. That's when the first... The first time we saw uh, hospitals bombed. And you know who's coming into the fight? Syria, because the Russians are running out of troops. 
The other thing to uh, keep in mind, too, is the virus is still out there. I was struck I was struck to see that China is now dealing with Omicron, and this might be, even though Omicron, I guess, could be characterized as less virulent, uh, it spreads easier, and they're having a real t- hard time arresting everyone that has it. Yeah, their their vaccine that they really pushed hard in their on their citizens doesn't really work as well. So not only do they have Omicron, but they have immunity from the vaccine that's not as protective. So they cannot contain it. They've been playing whack-a-mole and they've been trying to do COVID zero strategies. And we've been knowing that it's going to self-destruct at some point. You cannot um, use a COVID zero policy in a country with over a billion people. One of the things that got under Vladimir Putin's skin is Zelensky says, I'm not going to use your vaccine. I'm going to get mine from the West. And they got it from us. What is their Sputnik vaccine like? So they won't really disclose the data, but we've seen other countries have an experience with it. And we think the efficacy back when ours was about 90 percent efficacious, theirs was 40 to 60 percent efficacious. And from there, it goes down with the different variants over time. So a couple of studies that really stood out. Uh, number one, I'm watching yesterday as people trying to figure out what was right and what was wrong about uh, COVID. I want you to hear first off what CDC Director Walensky said about masks. The evidence is clear. Masks can help prevent the spread of COVID-19 by reducing your chance of infection by more than 80%. In combination with other steps like getting your vaccination, hand washing and keeping physical distance, Wearing your mask is an important step you can take to keep us all healthy. Really, uh, first off, you, that number was farcical. Uh, has it proven to be as, as ludicrous? Uh, we thought it was ludicrous then. Has, is it proven to be that now? Yeah, I would say now there's more of a consensus and there's more data to show that that is absolutely incorrect. So this just feeds a long line of lies that people have been hearing for two years And they want closure. They want an apology. They're sick of it. We heard lies about warning of the pandemic, surface transmission of the virus, cloth masks, the three foot and six foot games, school closures, ignoring natural immunity. And the list is long. So now they're making in New York and other various places, preschoolers two to four wear masks. What school of thought does those people subscribe to? They're subscribing to the old concept that the vaccines uh, eliminate transmission. And so they're using an outdated concept to say that we can't allow them to transmit. And because they can't get vaccinated, we have to cover their faces. Well, they're ignoring the fact that the CDC has still never told us if any healthy child in the United States has ever died of COVID. In Germany, they gave us that result in a big study. It was zero healthy children. All the deaths were clustered in people with specific comorbidities. So the concern now is parents are looking at their kids and the kids are sad. Smiles are contagious. Happiness is contagious. And they're seeing a change in the mood of their kids and they're not happy. So there's a study that says young students have suffered the most. They have dropped in reading skills uh, during the pandemic. Because those formative years, they weren't able to do it. Some didn't go to the remote school, especially in underserved communities. And now they're dealing with an emergency situation, right? It's not too late. But there has been a leveling off of traditional growth of kids in America. That's right. The cloth masks did really nothing to reduce transmission. But what they did do is stunt 
child development. And people are seeing through it now. They're seeing the kids. They're not right, right? The kids are not growing up the way that kids in schools where they had no mass are growing up. And where's the study by the CDC of the kid of the kids who were in schools that were open the entire time with no masks and the opposite, the kids who had a lot of closures and then were wearing masks throughout. That is an easy study to do, but nobody in the government is interested in funding that study right now. It's pretty obvious what the results are and the results they don't want to know. So New York Times does a story and they say the New York Times said vaccinations, booster shots and masks have not caused a major difference in case rates between because parts of the country with different levels of COVID-19 precautions. Uh, this is quite came out on Wednesday. The article compared COVID-19 cases for Democrats and Republican areas, noting that Dems were more likely to wear masks, get vaccinated and get boosted and avoid public spaces. They found out that, noting that the Democrats are more likely to do all those things, they see these factors seem as if they should have caused large differences in case rates. They conclude they have not, and they haven't, and they haven't offered some, and they haven't offered any clarity about the relative relative effectiveness of different COVID interventions. So what they're trying to say is those didn't work. We're not even sure what worked. <laughs> you know how hard would it be for public health officials to just say? You know, we got something really wrong. We thought the vaccine was going to prevent you from getting it or spreading it. We were wrong. What it really does is it downgrades the severity of illness if you get it. That, that's not a, a big confession that's hard to make. As doctors, we often tell people, look, the data has changed, but we're not hearing that. And what you're hear, seeing is sort of a digging in on their positions and they're alienating people. So now we've got people who are distrustful, and they're saying, hey, you've also been ignoring therapeutics and other things. So right now you've got two entirely different perceptions of the same public health establishment. So they did a study of uh, the people that watch Whatever Network and talk, do you trust the CDC? The highest CNN and MSNBC, 85% trust the CDC right now. It started off, everybody started off at the same place at 84%. Uh, For local, if you just follow local television, uh, local news, you're around 60%. If you follow Fox, it's between uh, 42% with a rapid drop in 2022. Have you noticed a difference when you look at your patients, Dr. McCary? From what you know yeah. without saying, hey, by the way, uh, what's your blood type and what news do you watch? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do notice a difference. And I did see that that poll that just came out. And it's sort of like, you know, do people trust the WHO? And early on, you had this sort of naivete where you had a lot of people just in good faith assumed this is a good institution. And other people started doing research and listening and learning and reading. And what they would find is that there's a lot of problems. You could say the same is true of the government or any government or China. The more you learn, the more you start to ask questions. My parents grew up in a state-controlled TV country, Egypt. So they didn't believe anything the government was telling them. And so now people are recognizing, even the New York Times put out a piece saying the CDC has been hiding a lot of data to promote their agenda. Finally, after two years of dangling fear to young people and parroting whatever government health officials feed them, even the New York Times is on to the CDC. Although the 60 Minutes feature with the CDC director was the biggest wet kiss I've ever seen on uh, 60 Minutes um, outside the Chris Appleton one. 
Uh, which I was looking for a 1-800 yeah. number to donate to the CDC on the Did bottom you believe of the that? I mean, why not just hit her with a question of, you know, only 27% of the American adult population believes you. You've gotten quite a bit wrong. And just let them defend themselves. But you instead, you just talked about how much they've learned along the way. That should have been one-third of the story. 60 Minutes used to be a class in journalism. Now it's a class in agenda politics in way too many cases. But I digress. Lastly... We're coming up on a year, I know I am, since I've gotten vaccinated. What should we do about that? My, my electronic pass is about to expire. A lot of people out there got Johnson & Johnson. They're about to expire. So my second one is up April 17th. What do you think I should do? I think anyone, first of all, who got J&J should be getting at least a second dose. And that's for everybody. If you had the infection, which is most Americans, you can hold off on doing anything else for now after your primary vaccine series. And for everybody else, that is people who have not had the infection and they've just had the two doses, if they're over 50, I think it's important to get another dose right now because in the UK, they're starting to see a little uptick in hospitalizations. And that's specifically in older folks because they believe the vaccine is starting to wear off a little bit. Uh, Pfizer or or Moderna? Um, If you're, I I think if you're... um, over age 30, Moderna is a good way to get a little extra strength. Otherwise, Pfizer's fine for somebody under 30. Dr. McCurry, how much do I owe you for this session? Um, it's going to be uh, 15 cents. <laughs> 15 cents. So will, I, will you satisfy my deductible? Uh, <laughs> we'll <laughs> have to see how much you use this year. All right, fantastic. Dr. McCurry, appreciate it. Uh, have a good great weekend. You. you got it. Listen, when we come back. Uh, there's some there's some developments to go over. The vice president of the United States is in Romania, has expressed a display of unity. No word yet if we're going to be taking any of the uh, any of these refugees that have come from uh, this war torn country that have flooded the Romanian borders. None like uh, Poland overall. Two point five million people have left Ukraine. There's 40 million there and they're still under the fight. Also, uh, keep in mind, two other cities were hit last night. So opening up uh, the first expanded battlefield for the Russians in quite some time who seem to be stuck in a lot of different cities. This is a key moment in this battle. It's a battle that Ukraine has to survive. And when they survive, they win. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Your call. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. His new Saturday show lets him ruin your weekends, too. Take it easy, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The peace talks are there, but let's be honest, uh, there is very little room for compromise. Because as, as the situation is, it's the following. The Russians want us dead and we want to stay alive. There is no real you know, compromise on those. Uh, you can either be dead or alive. There is very little room for uh, debating about that. That is a little of the feeling that is taking place right now in the battlefield, which is Ukraine. That is uh, almost every city seems to be under siege or actually handling some uh, some devastating losses to a humiliated uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, if he's being honest with himself and if he's getting honest reports from the field, that was Inan Suvan. She's in a she's a Ukrainian uh, minister and she is uh, holding out in Kiev, the capital. Here's more from her. Cut four. 
we are extremely skeptical about the uh, potential talks in the future, uh, and particularly because the Russians are putting demands that are just, uh, you know, unthinkable. They want us to surrender, which is making no sense, just because, to begin with, we are fighting for our country. Uh, it's not possible for someone to say that, oh, you just have to surrender because we have uh, come here and we bombarded your cities, so now you have to, you know, do what we tell you to do. Uh, that is not acceptable to us, and that shouldn't be acceptable to the world community overall. Uh, right. Uh, right now, I understand, too, a couple of things have developed. The president of the United States has revoked the most favored tra trade status from Russia. So little by little, trying to make things worse and worse, the ruble continues to drop. The stock market will not open. Julie, listening on 97.1 in St. Louis. Hey, Julie. Hey there. Hey, imagine if a few weeks ago someone had said to Putin, if you do this, you will see a fire and fury like the world has never seen, which is what Trump said to North Korea. When you're dealing with somebody like that, you have to consider the ego. Once they make a bad decision, as Putin did, they don't care about anything but saving face and not looking like an idiot. So you can't allow them to make that first move because once, you know, the horse is out of the barn, they're not going back. You always have to think about that in a negotiation. You can't just let them come in and think that you will get them to leave because they're not rational actors when ego takes over. The thing I don't understand is why Zelensky told everyone to remain calm like he as well, you know, if everybody had been united with all the sanctions and letting Russia know what would happen right. if they invaded, that all should have been mobilized in advance. I, I mean, I understood the school of thought saying if we get the sanctions without them going in, what would stop them from going in? We could have phased them in. Uh, I understood it. He miscalculated. We obviously would approach it differently. The one thing different, Julie, we said if 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 he hit, if he tried to hit us with missiles— We'll hit him back with a fire and fury. He'll never, you know, he'll never understand. They're never, the Russian never threatened us. It was always another country. And that's where it was dicey. And it was a country we didn't have a defensive, uh, defensive alliance with. If we did, it probably wouldn't have happened. When we come back, we're going to talk to Jack King. We're going to go latest in the war. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think this administration has dropped the ball and uh, invited this kind of aggression. But there's no off-ramp for, for Putin at this point. And he's facing, I think, a very humiliating endgame here. And I don't know how he's going to react to that. There's a real threat of nuclear war? Personally, I, I don't think it's there's that much of a threat of a nuclear Why? war. Because that would mean, you know, the extinction of both the Russians and the American people. And I don't think uh, Putin would go that far. That is William Barr weighing in. I could not believe in talking to him during the week how conversant he is on world affairs and how tapped in he is, as well as his, uh, as his strong opinions on just about everything. William Barr's book is now out and doing exceedingly well. But it brings us to our topic of the day with our guest of the day, General Jack Keane, chairman of the Institute for the Study of War and Fox News senior strategic analyst. Uh, General Keene, we have eliminated most favored trade status uh, on 
uh, on Russia. We continue to try to tighten the noose economically. Uh, we know that they have all types of restrictions. As the West is leaving, they're starting to, uh, from McDonald's to Pepsi to Apple to Microsoft to American Express, Visa, MasterCard, the list goes on. It's huge. They're going to start nationalizing different institutions. What do your sources say things are like in Russia? Well, I, the, from what I understand, the, the everyday Russian person uh, has not been overwhelmingly affected by any of this, but it's, it's gradually starting. Uh, and certainly the, the people who are wealthier, who are into the stock market, I'm talking about the Russian stock market, who have considerable amount of assets, uh, Certainly, they're, they're impacted more, working-class people uh, less. But the truth is, all of the Russian economy over time uh, will be I- impacted. And the other thing is, is that while a number of the elites and, and young people uh, who are very adept at using the Internet, even though it's largely shut down now in Russia, and international uh, broadcasters and journalists are out of there, um, the working class people, uh, they never do much of that anyway. And so it's going to take some time for them to understand the truth of what is taking place. The overwhelming majority of the Russian people are, are still accepting the state narrative that this uh, movement into Ukraine was completely justified by the Ukrainians committing genocide on Russians. And, and, of course, there's more to the narrative than that. But we get the drift here. It's a big, bold-faced lie. But eventually that will catch up to the Russian people. Uh, the bodies are going to have to be shipped home at some point. And it, it, even a conservative estimate uh, tells you uh, 5,000 killed in a two-week period. Uh, that exceeds uh, anything uh, that the United States uh, – has done, I think it likely have to go back uh, to World War II, possibly the Korean War. Uh, I'd have to go do some research, but nothing in, uh, in the Vietnam War or any other conflict uh, we've been involved in comes, uh, comes close to anything like that. So that is significant, and those casualties are going to mount, Brian. Uh, true. A couple of things changed. Uh, last night, they, the Russians extended the battlefield. They targeted a, the city of Lutz. Uh, in the western area and uh, Nipro in central Ukraine. Why would they do that off the top of your head from what you know about those cities? Well, from what I understand, uh, particularly in the west, I don't know about Nipro, is they finally got around to dealing uh, with the operating airfields that Ukrainians are using for their aircraft. They've got 56 aircraft still flyable. And uh, they've kept them, from what I understand, largely in the West, but I don't know that for certain. Uh, They possibly move them around as well uh, to keep the Russians off guard. But I'm I'm a little surprised that it it took this long uh, to go after all of those aircraft. Uh, But it may I don't know if it has anything to do with, uh, you know, the political football going on in the United States over uh, MiGs out of Poland or, or not, but... Yes, that that was the primary target, not the people, Ukrainian aircraft. So a senior uh, defense official said on Tuesday that most Ukraine is under an umbrella of Russian anti-aircraft, that some of these surface-to-air missiles have a range of up to 250 miles. 
How effective can an outdated MiG fighter be in Ukraine against Russian air defense? Not very effective. And that is why they're only flying five to six sorties a day. So Ukrainian aircraft, while they have a lot of them, and I think the reason why they have a lot of them is because they're not flying them. What is effective um, certainly is when the, when the Russian aircraft come down low because they're using more gravity bombs than they're using joint direct attack munitions, which are GPS-guided bombs where you can yeah. deliver those bombs from high altitude. When they come down low, they're susceptible to the Stinger missile, uh, which can knock them out. And they have been knocking them out and, and knocking out also – uh, they're helicopters. But Russia owns the airspace. Just about all of Ukraine is covered uh, by SAM radar and SAM missiles. And, and what that means, as soon as an aircraft takes off any place uh, in, in Ukraine, just as it's airborne, I mean, they've got it. They know exactly where that is and, and obviously uh, – they can track where it's going. So it, the Ukrainian Air Force, while it's commendable that they've got air, that aircraft uh, going, I, I think we've probably been overstating its effectiveness uh, because of the, if they're only doing that many sorties a day, obviously they're very concerned about those SAMs and being eliminated. And, and I'm sure the casualties that they took largely all due to to the Russian SAMs. The A-10 Warthog. Here's Mitt Romney. He thinks it should be in theater. Cut 28. The idea that somehow we're calculating what's effective for them to run their war and that our and that our stingers and our javelins are better than our aircraft, it makes no sense at all. They're better at running their own war. They know what the conditions of the ground are. They're there. We're not. And further, our A-10s would help. We need to get them A-10s. That's the aircraft that's really ideally designed for this kind of warfare. Why are we dithering on that as well? This makes no sense to me at all. Anyone on to say, you know, they got to start, he's got to start worrying about us. We got to stop worrying about him. First on the A-10s, uh, do you think they're, they're great for taking out tanks, but they're also easy targets? Yeah, they, they'd be an easy target for Sam's. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, not everybody has the facts here, and, and I understand what's going on. I mean, I... I totally agree that we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't act, you know, out of a, a fear of, of Putin and what he considers to be an escalation. I mean, that's not the way to deal with Putin. You deal with Putin from a from a position of strength, and you stand up to him and you show some spine. That's the way to deal with it. But I mean, I, I, I think now we're too preoccupied with. Uh, I mean, Zelensky asked for the aircraft, and everybody wants to give him what he wants. I mean, how, how can you not, uh, you know, given what the suffering that they're doing and, and the strength of his inspirational leadership? So I certainly understand Senator Romney and his desire to want to help him with everything we have. But in, in the reality of it, uh, those A-10s will go down pretty quick. Couple of things, General. We're not out of the woods yet by a long shot. Uh, the Russians are trying to surround Kiev as we speak. We don't know what their designs are when they're going to try to get to to the Black Sea and Odessa, and we know they're leveling cities. But I think it's safe to say, as what we know now, it looks as though the Russian forces, the Russian equipment, the Russian generals, the Russian 
leaders, officers, way overrated. And if the Ukrainian report's right and they fired nine generals already, can you tell me from what you could tell right now if I asked you to do a report about what you know? What, how did we overrate Russia to the degree we may have? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. First of all, uh, talking to senior defense official, they know of no single general that's been fired. Okay. Um, so I take that's a, a Ukrainian report, uh, but I'm uh, taking on face value. I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy into what the senior defense official said. But listen, Brian, we got a history of this, and, and I'm as guilty as, as anybody. Uh, I mean, most of us during the Cold War, we overrated the Russians then. And, and then the Soviet Union collapsed, and we got to do a lot of work with these guys all through the 90s. I was commanding the 101st Airborne Division and 18th Airborne Corps, which oversees the 82nd, 101st, a couple of other divisions. I spent a lot of time with these Russians. And we, we came to grips with the fact that they were far from 10 feet tall. They were like 5 feet tall, to tell you the truth, in, in terms of their uh, war fighting capacity, the, the, the capabilities, the, the readiness rates of their equipment. A lot of it had been atrophying over the years because, you know, their economy is so much in a tank. Russia has a strong military, and they put a lot of money into that military, but they also struggled to keep it up during the Cold War. And we didn't realize how how much it had deteriorated. Fast forward to what we're dealing with here. I think most of us brought into the narrative that Putin was spending a lot of money professionalizing his military, about, you know, 40 percent of it. And, and as a result of it, he would show off his weapons from time to time. But then when you get into it, you find out, uh, as we have now, because we're saying, well, how did we get all this wrong? So everybody's going back and trying to understand uh, why our analysis is off so bad. You know, well, one of the things he does is, you know, his number one priority is not to field equipment to his units. His number one priority is to sell equipment to others. So that's why the SU-300, these are air defense systems, SU-400, and other, and other kinds of missiles are, get showcased quite a bit. But he's trying to make money. And so a lot of these units that we're dealing with now, the 190,000, when he mobilized them for this, this employment in Ukraine, they had, a, they had to pull equipment and people from a lot of other organizations to bring the units up to up to the strength, the war fighting strength, and that's not unusual. The United States has done done that itself. But the other thing that's so lacking here is that their leadership is is the same as it was during the Cold War. Centralized leadership, Brian, uh, not providing and delegating authority to the younger uh, commanders who are down at the tactical level, giving them the freedom to decide what to do based on what they're facing. They're very controlling. It turns out that the discipline in the force is not very good. Uh, the morale is not very good. They're planning and executing a campaign theater of war is abysmal. And, uh, and I, we were attacking it from the beginning, saying it was too ambitious, too complicated, didn't make any sense, four axes, none of them supporting each other, all requiring individual logistics lines which would be significant all of that has blown up in their faces yeah so we we absolutely uh overrated them interesting i'm going to bring you to something else just more of the foreign policy and tell me if i'm getting 
uh, overstating it. And just reading about what Germany's going through right now with this leader, just like uh, Zelensky has changed the perception, caught me by surprise, Olaf Scholz, I couldn't do his, un, you know, his unauthorized biography leading into this, but taking over for Merkel, what he has done in a matter of weeks is pretty amazing. He is now creating a $100 billion, $100 billion euro special defense budget to fund equipment purchases and upgrades in tandem to get to 2%. He's got a massive movement to get off Russian oil and gas, and it's his big push now to go back to nuclear to try to give them a degree of independence. And they go, why did it take so long? And essentially the psychology of World War One and World War Two that keeps on going, the guilt they feel for causing both those wars that is still permeated to this day that led them to create this alliance, this oil and gas alliance with Russia to kind of show them we don't want to fight anymore. And those days are over in light of what we're seeing in the demonstrations in Berlin. Am I overstating the change in no, this no. economic powerhouse? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is one of the most significant events that has occurred as a result of Putin's aggression here, the reawakening of, of Germany. I mean, I, if I understand the politics, and I'm not a, an expert at this, uh, even in my own country, much less uh, in Germany, but I believe he's actually left of, of Angela Merkel. And the reason why the Germans reached out to the Russians, it, it's twofold. Uh, one is for their own economic benefit. And, and, and they sort of had a thought process. If you stay aligned with them economically, then uh, it will add to stability and security in, in Europe, because this is a positive thing to be so integrated with a potential adversary. That was the same train of thought, if you recall, Brian, that we in the United States had for 25 years in dealing with China. If we help them to economically reform, then political reform will follow. And that blew up in our face, obviously. But the other thing is a real pregnant issue, Brian, and I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, it's manifested in a lot of Germans' foreign policy, and it has to do with their guilt over particularly World War II, which was the world's greatest calamity in the history of man. You put both Pacific and Europe together, 100 million people killed, nothing compares to, compares to that, you know, historically. And they were the driver of it for sure. And, yes, so that, that contributes to their passivity. I mean, that contributes to, listen, when they, when they wanted to come into Afghanistan and help us, what they said to us, this is the Germans, well, you have to put us in an area where there's not going to be any combat. <laughs> right. Okay? Uh, gotcha. And there were other countries that did did stuff like that, too. I'm going to keep my and, eye on it. Their military machine right now, I, I mean, there's been more. The, the, the Russians have lost more via combat vehicles than the Germans have in their, in their army today. Wow. Uh, so they have a long way to go to get back to having some effectiveness. But but, but I would let's yeah, get yeah. let's give the chancellor all the credit in the world for what he's doing here. Uh, I love the way you pointed out and put it in perspective, General Jack Keane. Thank you. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. You can still save yourselves 
if you just go home. Do not believe your commanders who say that you will still have a chance in Ukraine. Nothing but prison and death awaits you here. You are taking our lives and will pay with yours. That is President Zelensky uh, uh, brilliantly communicating in various ways to ask the West for more while thanking the West for what we have, what they have. And then number two, calling out the Russians, saying, listen, you know where I am. I'm not running anywhere. I'm no, you know I'm not going to leave. And I'm going to message them to let them know if the attitude continues where you have a lack of gumption to fight this war, you feel confused on why you're even in this war, let them know you can give yourself up and there won't be retribution. I think it's brilliant. And a lot of times he gives messages in Russian. And because he's, he's from that Russian region, spent a lot of time in Moscow. So he goes right to the Russian people. And he is so popular. He is so well-known. It's really hard to hate that guy. This is from people who grew up in the area and knew him before he was president. And you'll see a special. Don't forget to watch One Nation 8 and 11 o'clock right here on Fox News Channel. I'm talking about PM. And set your clocks back so you don't miss it. No excuses. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.